culture do? What can culture do? What is culture? Culture unites us. All right, ladies and gentlemen, of course, a very warm welcome also from my side. My name is Jennifer Sarah Boone, and I'm going to be your presenter for the breakout session, for the yellow breakout session. So um, this is not a presentation where you sit and listen and we speak. It is supposed to be a debate. It's supposed to be interaction. It's supposed to be a discussion, a place for networking, for communication, for stimulation, and for inspiration. So we don't only invite you, but we ask you and encourage you to participate, to ask your questions, to bring in your perspective, because that is what is so important, to find as many different perspectives and opinions as possible and to have communication. And every breakout session has a speaker. And at this point, I want to say thank you. We highly appreciate all our speakers for taking time out of their very busy schedule and coming here. And our speaker will first speak for a couple of minutes topic, and then we will open up the discussion with you. So first of all, I would like to welcome you to our first breakout session, which is Art and Nationhood. Can artistic styles be national? And our very first speaker for the breakout session is Andreas Bayer. He is professor for art history at the University of uh, Basel. And I'm losing my microphone. Sorry. He's a art critic and curator. And from 2009 until 2014, he was director of the Centre Allemand d'Histoire de l'Art in Paris. He is speaker of the international research project Bilderfahrzeuge, A.B. Warburg's Legacy and the Future of Iconology. And please welcome Andreas Bayer. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Um, ladies and gentlemen, talking about art and nationhood uh, in the context of this conference um, refers immediately to art history, to art history as an academic discipline. In fact, art and nationhood is a project within a larger project that we call Bilderfahrzeuge, image vehicles, that is situated mostly at the Warburg Institute in London. Bill Sherman talked about it uh, in his introduction today. And others who will speak here, like Gerhard Wolf, are part of this uh, international research project. And within this project, uh, I direct a little group that is working on art and nationhood. And within this um, topic, I'm investigating the question, can artistic styles be national? And when I say this brings back, or this refers immediately to art history, uh, this might at first sight seem to be a niche, the academia, the university, within the more general question about what culture can do. But uh, one should keep clearly in mind that the way we speak about art is mainly coined in the academic field. And it is this speech that determines theory and practice alike. What is conceived in the often remote and solitary studies of the academics soon find its translocation into the public. The historical narratives, the arrangements of our museums, 
the art politics in general, they all have their point of origin in the academic incubator. It is a commonplace that nationalism was decisive to the formation and implementation of art history as an academic discipline. And it is not by chance that the profession of the art historian came into existence simultaneously with the rise of nationalist ideologies. The two were, as Matthew Rampley has recently emphasized, structurally linked. For art history was, as he put it in reference to Althusser, art history was an ideological apparatus of the state. The emerging nation-states in the late 19th century established institutes and departments of art history destined to foster the research and the teaching of what were considered or simply declared to be national artistic schools or traditions. National identity thus was notably defined by an imaginary common visual patrimony, and the specific styles became the touchstone of this ideological appropriation of the arts. They were considered to be a national heritage. And since identity is generated through distinction, the construction of national artistic traditions, of styles, came to be defined in opposition to each other. Just think about the true battles around the question of the ownership of the Gothic style. Battles carried out with tenacity by German and French art historians alike at the beginning of the 20th century. Was its essential spirit German, as Wilhelm Woringer claimed, or was its essence French, as his colleagues on the other side of the Rhine insisted? The ensanguined dugouts of the First World War crossed the lecture halls on both sides. The same is true, for example, for the claim of the authorship concerning the Renaissance, a subject by which both French and German art historians defined national traditions not only in, op in opposition to each other, but also in opposition to Italy. There were, fortunately, some exceptions. The French Renaissance scholar Eugène Muntz, for example, contested such ideas and opposed himself to these attempts to nationalize the Renaissance, which earned him the allegation of defeatism. Also, Abi Warburg, on whom Sigrid Weigel has just spoken, rejected such ideas and pointed out the transnational circulation of artists and artistic ideas between the cultures. And that's why we dedicate our project on the Bilderfahrzeuge mm -hmm. to the legacy of Abi Warburg. Plus, as Sigrid Weigel has pointed out, in fact, it was a he was skeptical about the question of style, of aesthetics, as categories to define uh, art. But... Um, His voice, too, like that of Eugène Mintz, remained marginal. Warburg's library was forced into exile as soon as the Nazis came to power. So the sobering, the depressing story of nationalism's influence on art history can be observed in every part of Europe. And I'm afraid that all those art histories that will be written based on the European model elsewhere in the world can hardly escape this hold. Because even though we might smile nowadays on the f in the face of the ideological aberrations of the early 20th century, we should make no mistake about the persistence of such concepts. Our museums still are mostly organized according to the national schools. Just go and look to the national galleries around the world. They are all governed by geopolitical patterns, 
so to speak. These might be well-known facts, but the ideological impact of nationalism on what we call Stilkritik in German has been explored only in part and not yet been analyzed in depth. How French is the Impressionism? How German is Expressionism? Is there an Englishness of English art? Is pop art more specific for the United States or for Great Britain? These questions raise political issues and are not confined to the Western sphere only, because somewhere between global and local, the nation still lingers as a concept. In light of avant-gardism, cosmopolitanism and migration, we may ask where and how these specific forms converge and where do they differ, and is this difference national? But first of all, we might learn from the ideologically overdetermined discussions of the past that stylistic denominations, the style, the tale of artistic landscapes, generally, does not describe a subject matter, but simply represent modes of narration. Significantly enough, most stylistic characterizations had been coined belatedly, ex post. Even the young British artists had been labeled like this only when they already had grown much older. Now, if there is no national style, is art then or has it always been international, transnational? Is art a global language? This too, I'm afraid, would mean to cherish an illusion. Like there is no family of man, there is no family of art. Global is potentially just another mode of narration. The National Gallery of Berlin currently shows an exhibition entitled Hello World. It is an attempt to insist on a global identical diversity, as it were. This is a contradictio in adjecto, of course. Global identical diversity. And such universalism that insists somehow on an anthropological and that somehow insists, insists on anthropological and structural principles tends to cover the ever-different and varied context in which form-finding happens. These contexts might very well be political, but not national. These forms do not draw up a frontier. They don't contour national demarcations. They do not contain any folkish essence. They are not identical with nations, but identical only with themselves, and they obey only the inherent logic of the form. Take, and I close here with this last sentence, take the weird case of the Strasbourg Cathedral, a peak of the international Gothic style. But as long as the city belonged to the German Empire, it was considered to be the monumental representation of German supremacy. Once the city was conquered by France, the Minster turned into being the supreme icon of the French artistic genius. It is neither nor. It is art. And if, if it is anything else, it is religious. Well, stones are patient. If only they could speak, they would ask us to care for them, but to free the arts from such abusive heteronomy. Thank you. Thank you so much, Andreas Bayer. And um, what would you say is most important to educate people so that we go into a different direction? Well, uh, we may start with the disposal in our museums. We should start to really uh, start clearance in the national galleries, so to speak. 
if you go, you go, go to the Berlin National Gallery, go to the National Gallery in London, go to Washington, wherever, uh, there are all these uh, uh, rooms that are dedicated to schools, mm -hmm. but they mean nations. There's a French part, there's mm -hmm. a British part, there is a German, and so on. So we should start really to, to uh, rearrange these uh, museums and uh, try to arrange them according to what I would call the inherent logic of the form. That means on a sort of autonomous uh, way of uh, interaction between the images, you know. Mm -hmm. So this would be a, would be a first uh, point. And then we should rewrite our art histories. Um, if you look, there, in Germany we don't have so many books that tell art history, actually. Okay. Um, this has to do with a problematic after the Second World War mm -hmm. and after the Nazis, of course, with a very problematic um, uh, relation that we have with the notion of German. Mm -hmm. um, I contributed to a series of volumes that were dedicated to a German art history, but we didn't call it German art, history mm -hmm. of German art. We called it history of art in Germany. Okay. Because we refused to use the term Deutsche Kunst. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's not the case with France, not the case with Italy, and it will not be the case with all these new art histories that are, go that are going to be written. They all insist in a way, like our colleague from the Tretakov Gallery, she sp spoke about the uh, genius of Russian art. Mm -hmm. uh, what is that? I'm curious to see the uh, catalogues she was talking about on these exhibitions they showed. Um, because I think they problematize this notion. But so we have to rewrite our histories, our, our narratives, uh, and try to liberate art from this political appropriation, national appropriation, not political, national. But do you feel like um, you can still have a sense of identity? Or, or do you think it's a dangerous thing? Yeah, I think it's, it's identity was... National identity with works of art is very, very, very problematic. As I told, I mean, the Strasbourg Cathedral is a wonderful example. <laughs> totally weird. Used to be the symbol of German, uh, of the German Reich, uh, in a way of the supremacy, and then it now it is the the the, the, the peak of French artistic genius. So you, it's very difficult to uh, talk about identity in this case. This is appropriation. Um, and I don't think, I don't know, I mean, who would identify with Impressionism? Uh, France. We identify a region in which, or a moment and a place in which people and artists converged in doing something. Mm -hmm. But there were many not French people contributing to it. The same mm -hmm. with the Bauhaus in Weimar. It is full with people from Russia, from Switzerland, from France, from elsewhere, mm -hmm. from Hungary. Uh, so what is that? Is that uh, uh, German, the Bauhaus? Okay. It's in Germany, yes. It's a situation in which something happens, but that is, can't not be nationalized. So would you say as soon as pride comes into the picture, it's a problem? If you say, okay, we are proud that this um, that Impressionism is um, French, for example. Yeah, yeah. Well, as you know, the Impressionism, just as, as I said, all these labels yeah. are belated, belatedly. Uh, I mean, Impressionism was, was uh, pejorative. People used this word in order to discriminate this mm -hmm. uh, movement. It only later became a sort of, uh, 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 had a positive connotation. Uh, so pride, yes, pride is very, very... It's not helpful, I think, mm -hmm. uh, in the arts. Uh, what one should have is responsibility. Mm -hmm. And this, that's when we say national treasures without nationalism, 
Of course. Uh, the, let's take the Strasbourg Cathedral. It's in France now. So it's the Fran, it's, it, it's France who has to care for it, mm-hmm. has to restore it, has to conserve it and all that. So there is a responsibility for these things. But no pride and no, and no national identification, mm-hmm. I think. It's the same with the Elgin marbles, if you want. I mean, they are in London now and maybe they will stay there forever mm-hmm. uh, and will not return to Greece. Uh, but of course they are not, they are part of a national treasure. That's okay. true, but only in the sense that the British Museum cares for them and tries to really uh, keep them uh, for the future generations, you know. So there is a responsibility and no pride, I think. Yeah. Okay, thank you. So we'd like to, uh, the gentleman, yeah. um, you'll get a microphone in a second. Uh, thank you very much, Professor Bayer. Zeiland uh, Ronikashvili, Center for Literary and Cultural Research. Uh, well, uh, the, the problems you described are quite the same also in the literature history because we have this uh, nation as a category of description of the corpus of literary texts starting uh, from Herder and uh, we have to deal maybe with the same uh, kind of problem of to join efforts to rewrite uh, cultural history in Europe. And, uh, but uh, in the history of literature, you have, of course, language, which is national language. And uh, then, as an art historian, you have to invent some national category, which is uh, style, as one of the possible, possible well, languages, uh, of languages of the nation. Uh, uh, and then we have uh, two kinds of problems. The first uh, problem is, uh, so if there is, and I, I very much agree with you, uh, if uh, we don't use nation as a descriptive category of the corpus of artworks or literary works, uh, and if we don't uh, take a global perspective and don't say that art is a global language or something like this. What would be a descriptive category which helps us to rewrite this uh, art history? Uh, and the second question is uh, uh, you mentioned as well that uh, uh, European art histories are also models to, to write uh, art histories elsewhere outside of Europe. Uh, that means that we have this kind of European art historian terminology with, which is heavily contaminated by this kind of nationalist writing of the history. So do you have any idea how we can change this as well? Thank you very much. Yeah, thank you very much for this question. Uh, first of all, yeah, um, this is a very, very uh, important issue to compare uh, the fine arts with literature. It's very interesting. Uh, And when you mention Herder, um, you might also have mentioned Goethe. Uh, both, uh, in a way, were interested in what we call Welt, what they called Weltliteratur. But this is not global. Uh, what they uh, um, conceived, in a way it was never really formulated, but maybe what they conceived, uh, is a Weltliteratur in the sense that, first of all, this means translation. It means uh, to accept that there is uh, an impulse that brings people to, to write, But uh, it is always different. And what the main thing is and the main uh, activity of the Weimar classicistic uh, uh, culture was translations. So um, that's a very interesting uh, uh, phenomenon, uh, which is also in a way uh, uh, active in the visual arts. Just think of the, cop- uh, of the artist copying. Think of Peter Paul Rubens, who copied copied throughout his life uh, paintings of other painters of other regions. He is a great copyist of Titian, of Raphael and others and it's never the same. 
uh, it's never a copy. It's it's always inspired, but but you can immediately tell it's different. So there is not that global art. There is not that bad literatur. But it it would be and the other issue would be music to see how how these things converge and where do they differ. So very right, very interesting. And uh, we are just you are from the ZFL, you said, uh, and I know that they have the Weltliteratur as one of the major um, research projects and um, I, I will very uh, uh, I will be very curious and very interested in if you can also uh, invite art historians to you know enter this discussion uh, would be very interesting yeah so what do we say if we don't say it is gothic it's renaissance if all these are only narratives um, I don't have a real uh, answer to that I can only can say that um, look at what had been described as being renaissance art a hundred years ago. You will hardly find uh, works of art uh, that are described like this today. I mean, is Michelangelo a Renaissance artist? Nowadays we say he is manierist. So all these um, judgments change as the narratives change. Um, and if we don't say Renaissance is a national category, if we say, it, ha or even the manierism, uh, manierism is an, really an international style. You have manuist paintings in Prague as you have them in Florence and you have them in France as you have them in Spain. So this is, for example, a category that is not easy to nationalize, the manuism. Uh, my favorite epoch for this reason, maybe. But uh, all the others still, the Renaissance, as I said, it's debated between France and Italy and Germany, which culture generated Renaissance. The France, uh, French colleagues mean it's Fontainebleau where it was generated and then spread over all Europe and so on. So these, these terms are so contamin contaminated that we cannot use them in a way any longer. Uh, what we can put uh, at their place, I, I have no answer for the moment. I just would say we should try to not use them and by doing so find new words for it. And as I said, with manierism, we have uh, one epoch in which we talk really of the art, on maniera, which comes from the hand. So it is, uh, for me, manierism is an ideal uh, denomination for an art uh, without national implications and connotations. So starting from there, we might try to speak more about kulturtechniken and within these kulturtechnik of painting, of sculpture, of architecture, we can try to identify differences and Analogies. Thank you. Thank you. Any? Yeah, hello. Thank you very much for the, the talk. My name is Laura Masri. I'm principal architect at Laura Masri Architects in Berlin. Um, and I want to make a suggestion, perhaps, <laughs> for a kind of a sharpening of this debate about nationalism and art history. What about um, the relationship between art history and nation forming? Because I find it so problematic that this debate on the nation and all the culture that took place is kind of on the same level because um, if you look at the French history, um, I mean, Germany became a nation much later than the French. So it was Goethe who said, um, uh, Deutschland, wo liegt die Grenzen? I mean, so I think um, it's problematic in many for many reasons to talk about a German art just because this is starting off at this kind of Prussian uh, dominating uh, style, which wouldn't represent, I think, this country. So, um, um, But on the other uh, end of the spectrum, for example, in Scandinavia, there is this um, 
the, the national uh, romanticism movement. You know, this kind of resistance to the Renaissance in the continent and uh, nation forming and many of the like classical music pieces and paintings are very um, representative of this where one um, as an art scholar learns about uh, yeah, how Scandinavia formed or the countries. So my suggestion is why can't we f- move away from politicizing nation and art history and talk more about nation forming? Yeah, the nation forming uh, is accompanied by art history. It had been uh, accompanied by art history. Uh, I mean, really, the first institutes and departments in the universities uh, uh, of the history of art were uh, uh, installed, were created in the 70s and 80s of the 19th century. It's a very young discipline, academically speaking. The museum is a little bit older, not so old. Uh, I mean, the first museum maybe is a Louvre. So, uh, and then there you have uh, uh, the the claim for universalism that has nothing to do with nation under the French flag, in a way. So that's the same what happens with the Louvre in Abu Dhabi. You have the world art history, but if you have been if you have been there, if you go there, you will see the main painting is Napoleon. So there is a claim for universalism, but still under a certain, you know, uh, uh, autocratic, if you want, uh, 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 domination. So uh, it's very hard. Uh, if we go back in art history, maybe if, if we look to uh, Giorgio Vasari, 16th century in Florence, when he writes uh, the Levite, the Lebensbeschreibung, the lives of the Italian Florentine mostly, architects, painters, and so on, one of the most important historiographical books on art history, this is an, an uh, apology of, of uh, Florence. This is a nationalist avant la lettre book because what is, it is doing is it says Florence is the home of the arts and all our artists are, so to speak, uh, uh, the, the, funding, uh, the founding persons of uh, what uh, then later would be called the Renaissance. Uh, so it's, it's a sort of nation-building in this sense, Fra- uh, Florence becoming uh, a granducato. I don't know what that is in English, ein Großherzogtum, uh, duchy, <laughs> right. Uh, so it became uh, a duchy in the 16th century, and, 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 and Vasari's book on the lives of the artists is accompanying the uh, raise to power of the Medici as uh, grand duchies of uh, Toscana. It's not easy to separate. Uh, it's always accompanying art historical writing, uh, even before it is academic, so in the 16th century, for example, is always accompanying uh, these uh, state-building or this national, avant la lettre, uh, identities. So it's very difficult to, 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 to uh, isolate it from one from the other. But of course, uh, when you look to what Abi Warburg did, uh, when he looks to the migration of uh, art, of ideas of commodities through the cultures. Um, he's trying to say that it's very difficult to speak... How, so, for example, uh, André Chastel wrote a book that's called uh, uh, L'Art Français, the French art. And then he has problems because he sees that French art is totally, totally uh, determined by influences from Italy, from Spain, from Germany. So he, it's, it's a wonderful book because it's, an, uh, it's not finished because he couldn't deal with his problem. He does not know how can I identify French art when it is so much influenced by uh, the neighbor 
uh, neighborhood mm -hmm. and by other influences uh, too. So what he invented is a new version to describe French national art, the le filtrage. The filtrage. It's the, the result of a, a filter. Of filtering. Yes, okay. of filtering. Mm -hmm. Uh, and this is a good image, a good, good uh, uh, word for it, uh, because it implies that there is no art that is not. I don't like the word influence, but that mm -hmm. is not related, inspired. inspired yeah. That's not referring in a way mm -hmm. uh, to the past, but also to arts that are beyond the proper cultural defined. Why do you so. think that such uh, scholars have this kind of deep desire to prove that there's a national style? If, if very well themselves they know this is totally problematic. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know why they have that need. Abi Warburg did not have, have that need. Eugène Münz in France did not. But these were exceptions. They were marginal voices. And uh, uh, why the others? Because they, like, I, I mean the same for literary historians. Why do they start to write national histories of literature? Um, they're paid for it, first of all. Since, well, yeah, the, the academia is always, usually, except the uh, private uh, universities like the United States that might be more independent. Uh, the, the universities in Munich, uh, in Bonn, at the end of the 19th century, were, uh, so to speak, state universities. So this was part of an academic uh, uh, identification with the state. So it's very hard to... to uh, and I don't blame them, because it's, it's maybe hard to oppose oneself to these uh, ten ten tendencies to nationalize but when you are itself part of the system. But is it, do you think it might be uh, um, them trying to find a sense of identity? That you try to say, okay, this, this belongs to us, therefore I can build my sense of identity? Because you build identity with lots of different aspects and maybe they kind of need this piece of culture to build their own identity? Yes, uh, of course. And it's not only the art historians, it's also the public, mm -hmm. in a way that might uh, <clears throat> think that um, in an image, in a painting, in a sculpture, uh, they can mirror themselves. Mm -hmm. uh, as you said, there are the elements uh, of which identity is, 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 is uh, constructed. The food, mm -hmm. music, mm -hmm. Many other things, uh, and art too. And we might also think that art is so for a long time when it was mimetic, when it was figurative, uh, is so very. Uh, it's inviting to think that it mirrors mm -hmm. yourself. But uh, you have always to accept that art, painting. Let's limit us. I limit myself now and speak to speak on painting. Has always a transcendent um, uh, moment in it. It's never. A mirror. It's mm -hmm. never to be uh, taken for reality. I mean, Theodor Adorno, the German philosopher, has once said this very, very crucial word: "Kunst ist das entschieden andere." Art mm -hmm. is decidedly the other. It has nothing to do with life. Mm -hmm. It has not to be confused with life. So it has not to be confused with nation. Not to be confused with uh, anything else. It's identical with itself. First of all. Mm -hmm. So um, one is, of course, tempted to think this is a mirror, this is my identity, because there's a landscape painter, mm -hmm. and I say, oh, I was, I was born there, mm -hmm. so it's me. 
but the landscape painter usually paints a landscape with other interests. Mm -hmm. He's not trying to uh, to to keep the um, atmosphere of a certain topographical area. He's interested in light and shadow. He's interested in abstract things in a way. So and you could also have a um, an African artist coming and painting a French landscape. So then the question would be. Who, who would be able to identify with it? Would yes. it be the African people saying this is our artist or would it be the French people saying this is our landscape? Yeah. It is so complicated, yes. Mm. And that's better, it should, so for this reason, it should better not even start yeah. to be nationalized. Okay. Yeah. Uh, we had a question in the front. Ah, okay. Hello. Um, I'm a visual artist um, from the States of Jordanian heritage. And... Um, I just wanted to share um, perspective that I've come across, and that's the um, identification of themes as opposed to style in the Arab world and contemporary art. And those themes are based mostly on conflict. So, for instance, there wouldn't be a style in the brushstroke or photography dealing with um, the Iraq war or... Palestinian wall or something like that but there would be identification with the conflict itself and I had a problem when I came from the States because I didn't identify closely enough with those issues because I wasn't affected in my daily life um, that I was um, told that my work wasn't Jordanian enough when I was there and I was like what does that mean? <laughs> Um, and I was constantly being pushed institutionally to address political topics. But I see that mostly in in the Arab world, in the developing world, not so much here, maybe because there's stability in war and um, not war, let's say. But I'd just like to hear your thoughts on that. Well, I think it's very difficult <coughs> to to uh, apply all these categories we were talking about now uh, to contemporary art. It's very difficult because uh, contemporary art, one might also say, is not any longer material in this sense. It's, it's a discourse. Um, but on the other hand, we still have uh, artists in the fine arts, contemporary artists who work with material, who work with form. Um, but... Um, as soon as you think that a form can contain essence, the essence of something, das Wesen, we would call it in German, the essence, um, then, of course, you have this problem. And one can say, you are not Jordanian enough. Your art is not Jordanian enough. And then you would have to ask, what is the essence of a Jordanian art? Mm -hmm. Very difficult. And there is no answer. The Wesen is not to be identified in art. The Wesen, what is the Wesen? I mean, what is the essence of French genius uh, in a cathedral that was built by artists when neither Germany nor France were states in a way? A little earlier they started to, to, to construct these cathedrals. For, for this, for example. What I think is very interesting is when you talk about... Uh, um, um, so not about style, but about iconography, so to speak, about the, the, the themes uh, art is dealing with. And there, of course, then, there you have, uh, and you might be, uh, and you are mostly political, that's true. And, uh, and then you might also touch the question of nation and nationality. There, of course, but then we wouldn't speak of essence, of the essence, of the 
whatever that is. But we would talk about Inhalte, about um, uh, content. And we would see, okay, this is dealing with that, this is telling a story, this is representing a certain moment in a certain situation. And then you can talk about that. But that would not mean that you talk about style. Then you talk about uh, issues, about content, yes. But isn't that also moving the problem if you say you have um, nations identifying with a, with a style and now they're if I understood it rightly, they're changing it to identifying with certain themes. You said that you were, uh, they, they accused you to be not Jordanian because your themes were different. Yeah, I, ah, okay. it was um, um, the British Council wanting to take Jordanian artwork to England to show Jordan. As and the British told you that you were the not Jordanian. British told me I wasn't Jordanian. <laughs> there you see. So you have to to ask the British what they exactly think is Jordanian uh, style or issues. You know, I don't know. That's but you, you see, these are these problems. And mm -hmm. once we yeah. get rid of that, well, I mean, yeah. in, in my case, being a transnational in that sense, and now I'm here in Berlin, so it's all over the place. Yeah. Um, I don't identify with only the confines of a style or a history, yeah. I take all of it with me. And I think that's, that's how it should be. So. Absolutely. And, and I remember three years ago or so, four, four years ago, uh, I organized uh, together with French colleagues a show in the Louvre on uh, German art, uh, De l'Allemagne. It was a huge scandal because uh, at a certain point uh, we, we wanted to show uh, uh, art from Weimar, from the time of Goethe, classicism, Romanticism and uh, go to the modern period, that means Bauhaus in the early 20th century, also Weimar. And we wanted to focus on Weimar, not on German issues, on mm -hmm. Weimar as a very interesting incubator of certain tendencies of art. And the French didn't allow us to bring in the artists from the Bauhaus because they said, oh no, Kandinsky was Russian, Paul Klee was from Switzerland, uh, Molinoc was Hungarian. And they said, so these are not, this is not German art. And so they uh, cup, cut out the last section of the show because they said, this is not German. And I said, of course, we don't want to say it's German, but it happened in this place, which at that certain time was in Germany. So, you, you see, it's, uh, if you start with these things, uh, and art is not, uh, should not be abused like that. This is what I call the heteronomy, you know. Fremdbestimmung. Mm. Thank you. Not, uh, um, to, to start with the Bauhaus, um, my name is Raman Schlemmer, is of course that um, there were so many diverse artists, but it was also not a, a movement, it was a school. There was no Bauhaus style, so that's just one. To come back to your identification, I, may I suggest that maybe the identification, especially in Europe, comes in retrospect. I don't think that um, Germans identified with expressionism while it was being painted. But today you have a Brücke Museum, you have expressionist exhibitions, or that the people of Zurich identified with Dada at the time. But of course today, 100 years back, uh, uh, later there's celebrations and identification and the center and whatsoever. So I think a lot of these identifications in, in Europe, it's certainly different in tribal societies where, where art is a part of daily life and, and, and the production is very, very different, the creativity is different. 
just a last observation. I see here the German government, and we are talking about uh, nationalism and how uh, th these concepts should disappear in culture. We have a German cultural Kulturgüterschutzgesetz, which is doing exactly the opposite. And there's no public debate. I don't think that you should... There is a huge Yes, yes but debate. there was no public debate before the, the law. Mm. Well, the law Not is quite, enough. It's, yeah. it's, it's, it's it's it exists I don't expect you to, yeah. to answer. Okay. But I think it's, it's, it's a strange contradiction to, to what we're trying to discuss here in this conference. Okay. It's just an the observation. The Kulturgüterschutzgesetz Kultur, uh, is just one or two years old. Yes. And there was a huge, huge discussion it, in Germany. It is. And it still and is. It's still going on. It, I know. It still is. Uh, and but it, it exists as a yes. law. Mm. And, but, but you can see it also by the fact that uh, it was uh, uh, invented, this law, mm. uh, or promoted by the Staatsministerin für Kultur, mm. uh, by the German minister. It's not a minister. It, you know, mm. Germany has no minister for culture. Mm. We have ministers for culture in every... Bundesland, state, in every state. state. Yes. Mm. But we have a Staatsministerin for Kultur. Mm. She is a little bit doing something mm. like an overall kulturpolitik, mm. mm. but uh, with very limited uh, 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 responsibilities. <laughs> uh, Germany is a federal country, and mm. also in, in, uh, in all things regarding culture, education, it is federal. Mm. And uh, this is also a consequence. Mm. Mm. Of, uh, of course, mm. of the mm. so-called mm. third right. Yes, yes. No, um, I didn't want to start a, okay. um, a discussion, but I saw the identification that is important um, in, in European art comes really in retrospect. Yes, and that is, uh, in, that's absolutely true. It is, uh, no person who lived in the Renaissance knew didn't this know is the that Renaissance. He, <laughs> he is now living in the Renaissance. <laughs> Nobody. And uh, the Romantics did. The Romantics did. There are some movements in which the, the identification with, with the proper, so to speak, uh, uh, denomination that still holds on uh, exists. For example, for Classicisten and Romantics. Uh, Classicisten und Romantiker, they were aware of, let's say, this, this label. But usually it's, it's, it's later and it's a way of appropriation. This is what I wanted to say. These style, you know, uh, denominations are a certain practice of, of appropriation, uh, of hegemony and on the arts. Yeah. And do you think it's going to stay that way or do you think it's going to change? I don't know. I'm, I'm not so optimistic. Okay. Now, because I, I think all this global discourse that we are assisting now will produce only more national histories of art and more national uh, appropriations in other, in other cultures, you know. I'm afraid that there is a, as a, it, it will go in a different way than we think the discourse on the global is going. I think there's a, a Do you danger. think it's because of fear of, of losing something? Yeah. Okay. And all this discourse on identification mm -hmm. you were uh, talking about, this all implies that people, and, and as we see in Europe itself, the nation state is coming back. Mm -hmm. And uh, oh, there's a danger. Yeah. And you will see uh, sooner or later there will be also, these things will also affect the arts. They do not now. Mm -hmm. But I wait, I'm, I'm sure it will not take long, and the AfD in Germany, mm -hmm. the right wing of populist party will also address these these uh, issues mm -hmm. and uh, uh, I'm not sure if uh, we are uh, strong enough to resist then yeah okay thank you yeah oh, okay uh, Thorsten Stolzenberg from the Federal Foreign Office 
and uh, art historian in a former life. Um, I think theoretically I would totally agree with uh, everything that you said, or most of it. Um, I see some practical challenges uh, with the, um, the propositions that you made for museums, for instance. Um, and just to talk about one, um, how should we deal then with um, non-European collections that have been gathered in the colonial era, so to speak? Um, there are right now talks about reinstituting objects. Um, Macron is uh, talking about it. Um, the Humboldt Forum here in Berlin is another um, example of how to discuss or not discuss um, um, provenance of objects. Um, should we then first try to give the opportunity to reclaim national identity in art as a first step and then try to reconstruct it? Or would you think this would be totally um, uh, uh, counterproductive? Thank you. In, in fact, um, I think all this question of restitution um, will raise such discussions. Uh, people will say, now this is our the essence of our identity that had been robbed, that had been stolen. So we want it back. Uh, and I don't, I'm, I'm not sure uh, if, if these discussions um, can be um, fruitful. Because uh, first of all, if look uh, to France, I mean, they will have big problems, but because where will they put these things? They, they are aware now that some countries that are claiming for these works to be brought back don't have even a tradition of museums or something and these objects were not even considered to be they were used in, in rituals in religious scene in religious uh, context uh, and they became so to speak artworks only in the moment in which they were brought in a European museum for example so I think they are, it's a very very complicated story where, where to put these things in cultures where there is no tradition of having a museum I mean, uh, well, you have to build museums all over the world and then restitute these things. And these are most, sometimes cultures in which a museum did not never exist as a concept. So I think that's a big question, where do you bring them? The other thing is, I mean, um, Neil McGregor with the British Museum tried to give an answer to that, and he was responsible for the Humboldt Forum in the last years. He said, for the Elgin marbles, for example, just to give the most prominent, uh, maybe in size, uh, object of the British Museum in this case. He said, now it is here, this is also part of the story of this museum, and this is part of the story of the British Empire and everything. So um, this is already in itself an historical issue that has maybe also to be conserved. And then that's what I said with responsibility, responsibility, the responsibility, responsibility mm -hmm. to treat this work, to conserve it, to study it, is in the hands of the directors of the British Museum. And I don't have a problem with that. And I even don't, don't think that the, the, the treasures of Schliemann, who, which are in Russia, should be brought back to Berlin uh, from so-called Troja, uh, the treasure of Troja. But it should be shown. It is not shown in Moscow, but they should show it and they should uh, expose it. And then I would be perfectly uh, uh, okay with it. So I don't think, uh, because it, it brings back these questions of national identity and everything. 
And this, but the discussion has just started. It's, it's just started, and uh, particularly in France, and as you said, with the Humboldt Forum. Yeah, tricky. Do you feel it helps to um, show art extra in different countries that you have a German artist exhibited in Russia, that you have a Greek art in England? Do you think that that helps to to loosen up the problem? Yeah, well, if you declare it a German artist in Russia, then already you perpetuate then, okay. you perpetuate this these uh, characterizations. Uh, but of course, I mean the best thing I think I think would be to have the directors of these museums not being uh, having not having the citizenship. Mm -hmm. Of the museum they are working there, I think that mm -hmm. that's okay. the best to have a, to have a, now we have a German director we they have a German director in the British Museum, and we had a British leading the Humboldt Forum for a couple of years the the commission uh, there are uh, is a French director of the museum in Naples and uh, and I think that would help enormously to have uh, people coming from other so to speak cultural formation. Mm -hmm to work in these museums, then you, you immediately things will change. That, that would be a, a, a good solution, I think, okay. a first step to, to, to open up a little bit these frontiers. Yeah. Okay, thank you so much. Any last question before we close up? The um, I'm Felipe Duarte. I come from... Um, my roots are in the Muisca community of Colombia. It's an indigenous um, confederation or it was um, and I see a point here with um, at least from, from, from how I conceive art within my hintergrund um, validation because um, the validation that we give to what we do is not by the state somehow there's an independence um, and the validation would come by nature or by the spirit of the animals as weird as it may sound um, how can the museums, for example, here in Europe, or um, in which way can the validation of what art is be taken away from from the institutions which have that last word and be given back to humanity or to the basic as nature is? So you mean you question the institution museum in general? Yeah, or how can they work together so that the validation is not necessarily in history or historians, but actually back in the people, back to the people, and back to what it is to be part of this natural organism, yeah, yeah, yeah. if it makes sense. Well, these are. I think um, one has maybe to differentiate between these different articulations of what art can be. As you told, they may, you know. If we talk about uh, works of art from the European history, that's, this is one thing. Then we talk about African uh, objects came, that came into the European collection. Then we talk about contemporary art like yours that might be inspired, that might be generated out of a very specific uh, cultural um, um, uh, uh, such context in which you would say it is not showable in a museum, if I understand you right, or it doesn't have the effect that it has to have when it is 
closed in a, in a, in a, in a museum. So, uh, did I get, get you right? Yeah, or it, it doesn't require the, the validation of the museum to, right. be, to have the meaning that it has. For right, the, right. Yeah. And this word validation is very important because uh, you, can, you can go, uh, we are in Berlin, go to the different museums. There are museums of natural history, there are museums of certain uh, regions of the world where, where works of art are exposed, not as works of art but in another context. And I think that's very, very good because uh, this validation, the so-called validation, if these works walk or are brought into a museum of fine arts, they lose something. In the, this exhibition, Hello World, there are many works of art that had been brought from other Ber collections in Berlin into the Hamburger Bahnhof and had been exposed there. And now they say, oh, they finally they are validated as works of art. So this is like a canonization. But they lose things there, and they were in these other contexts much more effective, I think. So I think not everything uh, that has uh, uh, um, that goes into a museum gains something. It is, it is, a, it is a, a problematic validation, and I totally agree that there must be uh, places and spaces in which works of art can act in another way than they do in a museum. Yeah. But you, as an artist, have to insist on that. Thank you so much. Unfortunately, our time is up, but I have to say I am so happy. This is our first breakout session and you were participating. I was hoping that you would, but of course we didn't know what was going to happen if you were just going to sit there and not say anything. So I want to thank you all. And of course, most of all, I want to thank Andreas Bayer for um, answering all your questions and giving his opinion. And thank you all for this lively discussion. Now, I'd yes. <laughs> It was just what we hoped for. <laughs>